Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 57. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. <gasps> who's that? Who's back? back? Yay! <laughs> I am. And very happy to be, of course. Welcome back, Leanne. Yeah. Do Didn't you want to go somewhere you? wonderful and exotic and have a great time? Oh, no. No, I just took time out to focus on my desk and work hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure for the last two Everyone episodes have... we've been moaning about where you're at while we've been stuck here managing the various nonsense. Oh, so. you've been loving it. You've been loving oh. it. I've heard you've been playing up, so you've been loving it. <laughs> well, it is oh, lovely God, to now have. Now we've got to behave again. I know, man. disappointing. Or someone has to be optimistic, which is you know yeah, it brings back the balance of the podcast, which is good. Um, so, uh, welcome back to everyone. We're great to, to have you again. Uh, we are going to be crossing to an interview later um, with Kate Solis from Eraisy talking about the really new and uh, really fantastic Eraisy report card, which goes through a whole range of data and indicators uh, around uh, children and youth. And for anyone who knows me even the slightest, that a new bit of data and indicators makes me the happiest man alive. So, it was great to read that report and great to chat with Kate from Eraisy. But before we get to that, I think uh, we wanted to just chat about a few things that have sort of hit the news and are of interest this week. It's been a little bit of a busy week, I think, for for the sector. Uh, and I think, Lisa, I think you're going to lead us through just a few things you wanted to raise with us. So yes. take it away. So, so rather than doing individual news articles, we've kind of decided to go to a bit of a different format where we'll just chat about news. So one of the big bits of news was that G8 has shares have dropped quite a bit. Um, they've dropped another 8% because their um, profit didn't, like about in November or something last year, they put out a new profit forecast and they said, we're not going to make as much as we thought we would. So their shares dropped, dropped then at about, by about 11%. But then when they actually got their final accounts out, they hadn't even made what the, the, the reduced profit that they thought they'd make. And so, um, the, yeah, it was about a they've only made about a hundred and their net profit was eighty point six million for the year. And so, because of that, their shareholders went, "Ooh, don't like this. Oh, let's get rid of all the G eight shares." But it's okay because G eight said, you know, that um, the new package will give them more money. Oh. That's a very optimistic uh, interpretation of that, I'd say. Wait, what was what was the reason for? Did they put anything underneath that when they said the new package was going to give them? Oh yeah, more money? the government's investing more money. Oh okay, so it's yeah okay. So Interestingly, of one of the stockbroking firms that you know, or big banks that have a, a look at these things said um, Macquarie Bank said nah we think that's not uh, work until about you know 2000 like the next financial year that won't hit this financial year they mm. must have someone on the there's the um, brokers in the banks must be getting uh, people with experience in early childhood on their on their books to give them a bit of guidance that was a recommendation we made to them I think uh, oh Back, wasn't it? Maybe they're, and they're clearly... thanking us for it. Thanks, thanks for listening, everyone. I think well, a couple of things here. I want to point out just uh, briefly uh, that uh, let's just remember that one of my recommendations, sorry, one of my predictions from last year uh, was that we would see a uh, a big player uh, 
go down or be bought out or exit the sector. And uh, I know, Lisa, you tweeted a pretty alarming graph about the shares. And I think you, you commented something like you hadn't seen some, anything like it since the ABC days. Yeah, it's been a pretty big jump. Like they were up at, oh God, I'm not going to be able to remember the figures. So I'm not sure if I want to actually say it, but I think at one stage it was dramatic. they were up at, yeah, yeah, let's just say it's dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, I guess that, that well, I mean, we, I feel like we've got a bit of a G8 watch. We've been, that's been sort of through the history of the podcast. And, um, and I guess we should, you know, point out that's mainly just because of the size of it. So it's, uh, it, is the GA the biggest for profit at the moment, or am I getting that yes, wrong? Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, but let's. I think yeah. we're going to chat about another for profit quickly, aren't we? Well, yeah, another one which is affinity education um, is uh, you know they're um, one of the largest private equity firms that you know like an overseas buyer came in and bought affinity education when it was on the stock market and took it off the stock market two years ago. I think they bought it, I'm working off memory here, but I think they bought it for $250 million. And they're now saying that they want to sell it two years later and they're looking at a selling price of around $700 million. Mm. So someone's making money out of childcare and, or out of early yeah. education care but I don't think it's the educators. That's that's better than a real estate decision in Balmain, isn't it? <laughs> that's mm, not a bad outcome. Yeah. <laughs> Can you remind, Lisa, I know we, we, we had an episode devoted to this and I'm going to probably madly scramble back through the episode list and try and find it, but I always find this stuff... Um, the the, the I, these um what do they call them the sort of leverage or firms or these um these ones like Bain Capital can you give us a bit of a rundown on how these these firms work in terms of coming well, in and fixing up and look they they operate in different ways in different areas but ones like Anchorage and Bain Capital they go in and they buy um, businesses that they think are slightly underperforming and then they tart it tart them up. So in the case of Affinity, you know, they give them a new curriculum, they do up their premises a bit, they, you know, get in a new management team so it can actually run a bit more efficiently. And then when they've done that with all their experience at doing that before, then they put it back on the market and it's a more saleable proposition. So, but that's a renovation. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just with very large companies. Exactly. And I think with a tagline, to affinity and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> you could be their marketing person. Oh, my person. God. That no, tagline's that just standing true. there. That is true. But that is true. That tagline is just hanging out there to be used. No, but it is used by that group. Oh, is it? Oh, that's, oh, a, that's really? an actual one they've used. Oh, God. Mm. Right, yeah. well, I'm not going to suggest Ooh. that's a bit on the nose, but okay, if they... If I was Disney, I might be interested in getting involved with that. But anyway, we can we can leave that for for Disney Corporation to sort themselves out. Um, oh, and this is a really great story that I think you wanted to talk about, uh, Lisa, about a Queensland government uh, initiative that's that's starting up soon. I really enjoyed reading about this one. But did you want to give us a bit of a rundown? Why don't you give the rundown <gasps> on this? 
Well, I found this fascinating and it's great um, and it's interesting. I, I, I want to talk to you both a little bit about the, the AMET program as well, so the Adult Migrant English program, which I think you know probably a fair few of our listeners are familiar with, but this is a new program in Queensland, sort of along similar lines, but it's more, it's more mm. specifically... Mm. Oh. Uh, Liam, I'm going to tell you this is not a new program. This is effectively... This is this effectively, effectively the bicultural support program from oh. the professional support coordinators. Yes, which is very true. Well, I, th- I think it goes a little further than that. But, well, I think you're right in terms of what the bicultural program used to be before it was dramatically cut in the uh, in the lead up to the PSC yes. funding being yeah. cut. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, we're, we're talking around instead of saying what it actually is. But the Anastasia Palaszczuk government in Queensland, uh, the education minister there, uh, Grace Grace, which is just a fantastic name. Uh, has announced they'll be uh, providing additional support for around the 50 refugee children who have arrived in the state to access uh, early learning, which is really fantastic. I'm, I'm mostly concerned there's only sort of 50 children involved here, but that's probably another discussion. But, um, yeah, they talk about the barriers that sort of new uh, new migrant families face in general, but then particularly refugees' families. So um, I think one of the most exciting things for me about this is that this is a partnership with a number of organisations. So uh, there's organisations uh, such as Access Community Services and Multicultural Development Australia, and they'll be, you know, working to really sort of provide, I think, holistic and wraparound support from these families. So uh, a real acknowledgement here from the Queensland Government about how uh, early childhood education can have a really positive impact on on all children, but particularly for children facing, you know, already probably experiencing trauma from wherever they fled. Uh, and it's great that we can see these sort of programs Look, in action. You know, all um, all credit to the Palaszczuk government, but at the same time, it it is actually being funded under universal access funding. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's and it's not a lot of money either. It's actually not. Well, it's, a, well, it's yeah, only fifty children, which uh, that number doesn't quite make, given how big Queensland is. Uh, but I, I don't know if that means well, they're no. Targeted... Uh, what they said was that um, there was only like last year there was only fifty refugee and asylum seeker children that settled in Queensland that were at that early education age. Mm. And do we think that's because yeah. the majority of refugee children settle in other states, so in Victoria or? New South Wales or, or New South Wales, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, and I, I don't think the ACT has a. Oh, it's changing, isn't it? I think it will. We we had an announcement that there was going to be an influx of Syrian refugees, and and that would be focused primarily on children. This was back in the Tony Abbott days. Remember, there was a big argument about. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't actually think they've ever arrived. I might, I might have to do some no. research on my. No, they have. Have they? they have. I don't know if they... Well, okay. I'll have to go and do some research about my own backyard there. But, uh, I mean, might be a topic for us to pursue down the track is to chat to someone from either this program or the AMET program as well. Mm. Um, I think the only other thing we wanted to to flag with people was that the Department of Education has just begun rolling out a series of face-to-face sessions on the new childcare package with service providers. So it kicked off in Canberra last Friday and I was fortunate enough to be at the first session. Uh, I, I doubt the... The Department of Education was particularly happy to see me there, given I had a few questions for them. Uh, but I suppose we should... Well, I mean, I might throw that to you guys. I suppose we should be kind of grateful they're at least running these sessions, but, you know, cognizant that it is, you know, it's March tomorrow, and this is all starting in July, and probably my biggest takeaway uh, going away was there still seems to be some very last-minute decisions being made about a whole whole range of aspects of this package. 
remember there's much more to say. The only thing that I would say about all of these things is that the people who design them just don't realise how complex the landscape is and and then it, it, it just becomes this kind of burgeoning, you know, like a Medusa where you cut one <laughs> one off and something else develops because it's just such a complex sector yeah. with so many with so many different elements that it yes it's almost unknown well i think all just that the package itself is hugely complex and it's complex now before it's actually been it before it's actually been in operation and there's going to be a whole range of complexity that comes out when we actually try and work with what you know the the new package we're going to be given and but it's already i mean i feel i do the part of me does feel quite sorry for the education department bureaucrats where they're kind of required to both sell that this is a new simpler less complex system and then have to use 72 slides to explain you know the intricacies of what's going to be happening yeah but i think you know i would the new south Wales sessions haven't happened yet have they lisa and no they're happening in a Probably in about four weeks, I think. Oh, wow. Oh, have, you re- have you registered, Lisa? Are you <coughs> yes, I've registered. Yeah, I oh. can't quite remember when it is. So. Yeah, I think we would we would all add our recommendation that if you're a provider, you should definitely attend these sessions, I think, for sure. Yep. Oh, yes. Yes. As much information as possible. I've heard there's a few publications available as well. <laughs> <laughs> Northside.asn.au. We did plug our publication ready. last week, Leah. We did. I'm only what was that? Oh, did you? We yes. did plug it last week when oh, you weren't sorry. here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we did a bit of freelancing there. But um, can I, look, my recommendation is absolutely go to them. And my recommendation would be ask the tough questions. Ask exactly how... Um, you know, what the impact on children who can currently access two days of a subsidised enrolment going down to one, what the impact on that's likely to be. Uh, and uh, there were some really interesting questions about the BBF services and how that transition uh, is or isn't going. But this is an opportunity. These, these people make significant decisions about uh, how this package will be implemented and rolled out. And I think just to... And I'm very well aware that I'm probably seen as pretty much entirely negative on this thing one thing i would say in terms of where i think advocacy has worked successfully is it seems pretty clear now based on the discussions that were had at that meeting that they are going to be looking at a far more sensible way of implementing uh, particularly the child sorry the child well-being part of the uh, additional childcare subsidy so if we go right back to when this was first passed it was going to require uh, a mandatory notification to care and protection essentially so basically the child already had to be at such significant risk they were being notified to the care and protection authorities when the the entire well not the entire point but a huge part of the current special ccb system and what was articulated as part of the accs when it was being passed was that this this, this should be stopping children getting to that point now it seems that as a result of um, you know discussions that have been having you know hopefully with with sector bodies as well as I think with care and protection bodies uh, in the states and territories it seems like there will be uh, there will be it, there will be a pretty significant step below that and that there will be a much greater ability for services to to access the ACCS for child well-being uh, at a point before you know where their children are at that crisis point and that and, and I want to actually highlight that I think that's a that's that wasn't what was announced right. to start with, yeah. and that's because people have raised this as an issue. So I, I applaud the, you know, the department for, for making those changes. I think they're, they're yet to be sort of formally announced, but it seemed pretty clear that that would be what would be happening. And you I know, think the people they who have been those. formally announced, Liam. They were in the handbook, the, the draft handbook. 
that the department also published yeah. last week. I still want to see some detail around that, so I want to see exactly you know how that will will roll it's, out. It's it's in there. It's in there. Oh, great. Well, we can yeah. maybe that can be your homework, Lisa, and you can you can roll us through that next week. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. I, I'd just like to point out there is one thing um, with the package that I learnt this week, which I hadn't understood, that services won't actually be approving anyone for the acts other than a child for the first six weeks of the um, acts wellbeing component. So um, it'll be Centrelink that will be looking at families that have had um, temporary financial hardship. They'll be looking at the grandparents. They'll be looking at all of those things. So that's actually been removed from services and is now resting with Centrelink. Who are experts at quick management of crisis issues. Yeah, it's going to be a huge process, isn't it? Oh, dear. As long as you don't have to ring them. Yeah. I sort of spinning off from. I think it's interesting. Sorry, I just think that this is a challenge in the, um, I guess that the power. It's not power, but being taken away from those who are closest to those families. It just feels wrong. It's happened at various stages over over history, but it's always another step away, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for. Are we calling that segment news chat? I'm going to go. Mm. We're going to go with news chat. Yeah. We've named with it with a hashtag. With a hashtag. Like hashtag, a hashtag news chat. Yeah. <laughs> Everything. It's all. It's hashtag content, people. Mm. All right. Well, we will take a very short break and then be back with our interview with Kate Solis from Eracy about the new Eracy report card. So stay with us. All right, well, I'm uh, really excited to be here at Racy HQ in Canberra, not too far away from where I work normally, but I'm here with Kate Solis. Kate, welcome to the Early Education Show. Thanks for having me on the show, Liam. So, Kate, it'd be great if you could start by telling us, you know, first a bit about Racy and then I guess uh, what you do here. Yep, so Racy was founded in 2002 and it really came about um, to fill a gap that was recognised by Professor Fiona Stanley and a number of other people that there, were, there was a big gap in terms of evidence-based policy for children and young people. So Aresi has helped to fill that gap now. And our main role is to link researchers, service providers and government to enhance collaboration to come up with the best policies we possibly can for children and young people. So we support programs and policies that are based on evidence that improve the outcomes of children and young people. We also do produce our own research, which is where the 2018 Aresi report card comes in. So tell us about the report card series. And I, I know you had a big hand in putting it together. And I've got to declare a slight interest here as I love the Eraser report cards. I have been using the data from the 2013 one for the last five years. So it's fantastic I can put brackets 2018 now instead of brackets 2013. But tell us about your involvement and I guess why Eraser puts out these report cards. Yeah, great to hear that you've been using it, Liam. Um, so this is, as I mentioned, as you mentioned, sorry, this is our third report card. So we produced our first one in 2008 and the second one in 2013. And being the third one is, is really valuable because we now have three years of evidence to draw on and three years of data. So we can really look at trends over time as well as a number of the other um, aspects the report card looks into, which I'll discuss a bit later. Um, however, before I go any further, I just wanted to give a bit of background on the NEST framework, uh, which is, is what the whole report card is based around. 
Um, so we Erasey did a number of consultations in 2008. So we talked to children, we talked to young people, and we also talked to experts in the field to, to figure out what children and young people actually need to be considered to have high wellbeing. And so that research culminated in six major areas uh, being identified. And so they are being loved and safe, having material basics, being healthy, learning, participating in society and having a positive sense of identity and culture. So the report card allows us to draw on evidence that shows whether Australia is improving in those six areas. And it's really important to monitor that over time because we need to see if, if Australia is going better. We have identified that these are the areas you need to have high wellbeing, but we actually also need to measure whether Australia is, is meeting those standards. So we're able to track that sort of data over time. We're also able to compare national statistics to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population. And the report card also shows how we rank internationally on all these indicators. So it's basically a culmination of all these different data sources that exist in Australia, puts them all together and shows, shows how we're doing at a national level. It's a really useful, it's like a, it's, it's a fantastic sort of one page uh, or not one page, sorry, one-stop shop uh, for a whole range of just indicators that affect children and young people, which is really useful for people who want to use that for research or advocacy or um, or even just starting a discussion about um, children and young people in Australia. So it's really, it is really fantastic. And I know, Kate, that um, this year's version is a little bit different. So we've obviously made some changes since in the, in the, um, the, the layout and the structure since the last version. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about those changes? Yeah, so there have been a few changes. The biggest one is the um, the integration of a, our new dimension, which is positive sense of identity and culture. So I mentioned before that um, the whole report card is based around the NEST framework. And just after the last report card, it was identified that there was an area that was, that was missing from the NEST, and that is positive sense of identity and culture. So we've had to research to come up with some new indicators for that dimension. Unfortunately, this is an area that is very much lacking in data. So we've had to come up with the best best possible indicators we could, which are largely proxy and are largely descriptive, unfortunately. So for example, one of the indicators is the percentage of, of children and young people born overseas, which clearly doesn't tap into what it actually means to have a positive sense of identity and culture, but it's really the best we could come up with. Uh, Erasi is doing, um, doing more research into this area and we'll be putting out a paper later this year that, that, that delves a bit deeper into positive sense of identity and culture and actually comes up with some indicators. Uh, we've also, uh, aside from, from that dimension, we've also put in a number of other new indicators. And that was either because new data has become available, so we've thought, oh, this, this is really useful data, we need to report on that. Um, or also we, we've put in data that's existed the whole time, but new research has sort of shown how important they are to, to, to the well-being of children and young people. So these include um, indicators such as children in, in, who, were, who were in care when family violent incidents occurred. Um, the perceptions that children have of neighbourhood safety and, and whether they feel safe walking mm. alone at night in their neighbourhood. So we've always had data on adults' perceptions, but now we have children's perceptions, which we all know are really important. Uh, Long-term youth unemployment we're now reporting on because that's been rising over time, so it's really important to highlight that. And also the social and emotional well-being of children, um, school satisfaction and school pressure, which, which are also all key to children's well-being. Wonderful. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it was, um, and I was really fortunate, Kate, to spend uh, time with Erasey uh, a couple of weeks ago and with you, and you sort of talked through those changes. And um, they're really interesting 
fascinating changes. And for those who work in the early childhood sector, like myself, the first thing I notice is that um, they're much stronger aligned with the early years learning framework principles, which include children have a strong sense of identity um, and a strong sense of well-being. So for, for educators and, and professionals of the sector out there, it's a really interesting to look at some data, which you know is still coming in and there might be some more in 2023. Yeah. We're going to get to that report card a bit later. <laughs> um, but Kate, so uh, let's let's look at the, the big picture sort of things right now. And I know this is a bit of a glib question and there's a million ways you could answer it. But, you know, if you could pick out a couple of things, you know, what's what's the good news from this report? What is Australia doing doing pretty well in or, or pretty fantastically in? Yeah, so there are definitely some areas in which we have improved. One of those is the support networks that young people have. So what's, um, what's highlighted in the report card is that the percentage of uh, young people going to their parents for support has increased over time. But if you go to the technical report, we provide a little bit more information. And this data was collected from the Mission Australia Youth Survey. And they, they asked people where, where, where their young people, where they're going uh, for support. And pretty much all of those support networks are increasing. So more young people are going to parents, as I've already mentioned. They're also going to friends. They're also going to relatives, teachers, counsellors, also the internet as well. Um, so, so that's really positive to see that at least young people have, have support networks to turn to. Um, another good news story is that the, the number of children in detention is going down, and that's both at the national level and for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population. However, I should note on the flip side of that, there are still really stark differences between um, the Indigenous and non-Indigenous population, and that's throughout the whole report, um, which is what we've heard time and time again. Um, also, injury deaths are decreasing at a national level, which is good news. Uh, substance abuse, so Australia is one of the best in the world in terms of drug use, smoking rates, alcohol rates, and they've also been going down over time, so that's definitely very positive. Um, rates of youth violence have been decreasing, uh, school retention rates are improving, and they're improving at both the national level and the, and the, and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander level, and they're in increasing at a, a, a faster rate for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander so, level, so that, that's very positive. And also what's good news is, is that often, often young people are accused of, of being lazy and not contributing to society. However, volunteering rates are going up over time and Australia is among the best in the world for volunteering as well. So there's definitely some good news stories coming out of the report card. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, and I, I love that particular calling out of, I think uh, there's a big mismatch between what the data tells us about uh, young people's engagement with exactly those kind of things, um, volunteering and community work versus the community uh, understanding of that, I think there is, I think they get a bad rap, young people. Um, and that's, look, I really appreciate that. I'm a pessimist by nature, so I tend to go straight to the poor card and look for things we're not doing fantastically on, but it's always important to acknowledge there is good news as well and there's things that are that are working. Hopefully some policy lessons that can be applied in other areas as well. But uh, putting back my pessimist hat on, so um, there is obviously some, some, some bad news in the report as well, and so there's some strings that there's some things that Australia isn't performing well on. I think that the, our ACCEO, Stephen Bartos, put it as, uh, the report card sort of says... Uh, uh, could do better. So, do you want to take like what are the what are the big things a race is, I guess, particularly concerned about that um that is either is either bad or just hasn't been improving for for a while. Uh, being on a podcast on early education, I'm very sorry to say that um, almost all the indicators related to early education have been slipping. We're used to it, Kate. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we don't get a lot of good news in the sector. <laughs> Um, so in terms of, of preschool attendance, Australia is, is ranked almost bottom of the OECD. 
uh, for preschool attendance. And also it's not reflected in, in the printed report card, but on the technical report, we also have childcare attendance, which we're also, uh, we haven't been increasing over time. We've stayed about the same, but we're ranked in about the middle of the OECD. So we're, at least we're doing a little bit better um, than preschool on that, but still not great. Um, also, the, the percentage of children with parents who require additional care. Now, we're not exactly sure for what reasons they require that additional care. It could be cost, it could be access, there could be a number of reasons for that, but that's really been, been increasing at an alarming rate over time. And obviously related to that is childcare costs, which have been increasing. So if you do look to the report card, unfortunately it doesn't paint a great picture in terms of childcare and early education. Uh, in terms of other IOs, which of course are related to, to childcare and early education, any, I think any improvements in that area will we'll see improvements in other elements of the report card. Uh, our education performance has been slipping, so especially for 15-year-olds as reflected in the PISA results. So in almost, um, so that, that collects information on reading, science and maths, and in almost all areas we've been slipping. And our, our uh, international ranking is still quite good, so we're still in the top third of most of them, but if that, that performance continues, we're bound to be slipping in the future. Um, school satisfaction and school pressure, Australia ranks really poorly in. And uh, I, think, I think that's also related potentially to bullying, for which we're ranked about 40th out of 49 countries for bullying. So definitely a lot of improvements to be made there. Uh, jobless families as well. So we do really poorly uh, compared to other countries in, 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 in children being with parents who, who are employed. And we all know that in having parents bringing an income in can, can really help kids' outcomes. Uh, mental health and suicide is really increasing at, at, at very alarming rates, which is a, is a huge concern. And we're also ranked quite poorly in terms of suicide. Um, as I mentioned before, the, the large differences between the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population and the national level on, on so many of the indicators we, we put out. Uh, obesity has been increasing over time and we also rank very poorly internationally on that. Overcrowding, so, so kids living in, in houses that have too many people per room um, has been increasing over time. Uh, Long-term youth unemployment uh, has been increasing at alarming rate. Youth interest in politics, we're ranked really low and we're, we're um, also in, uh, decreasing our participation in, in political and civic activities. And also body image. Now, while it stayed about the same over time, it's still about 30% of young people are concerned about their body image, which, right. which I think is, is, is a real worry. That's right. Um, yeah, and I think um, every time I read reports like this, I think the, the thing that really stands out for me is just uh, the, the experience um, that's evident in the data and indicators of Indigenous um, uh, children and young people. And, and particularly, to, there just doesn't seem to be light at the end of the tunnel so far. We just seem to continue having this big, uh, this big gap and... Um, it, it's hard to see any, um, and look at the, the hope is, I guess, of the report card, which I assume would be one of you know RACI's you know big missions in putting it out, is to raise that awareness about that that's there and and it needs to be tackled. But um, so I, I, I do really hope that happens. And and I know we've just spent a little bit of time talking about early childhood education um, data and indi indicators. But um, you know, given as, as you said, we are on an early education podcast. You know, you know, what's one indicator, positive or negative, or or in the middle that you that you know you'd be you'd be happy if everyone in the sector knew, or that you could draw their attention to. Yeah, so I think uh, we need to know in terms of preschool attendance that Australia is ranked 35th out of 40 countries for preschool attendance. We're behind many countries with lower wealth than us. 
So it's not as if we don't have the resources to do it. Um, so, for example, countries such as Mexico and Latvia are obviously making a concerted effort to improve this area with lower resources than we do. So definitely that's one area we can improve in. Um, and, and it really goes to show, so some children are missing out on this opportunity um, to get an early start in their education. And this could result in them sort of being left behind for the rest of their well, rest of their childhood, the rest of their youth, and then into adulthood as it well. It affects all the rest of the stats yeah, going forward. Yeah, exactly. So I think in terms of if, if there's an area in which to prove holistically a lot of the other indicators in the report card, early childcare and education is definitely probably the one to pick. Um, and also, it, it's, not, it's not just in terms of, of wealth. We're, do, we're doing much worse than very culturally similar countries. So countries like UK, New Zealand and the Netherlands are doing so much better in this area than Australia. So it really, it really goes to show that what Australia needs is, is basically uh, greater pr uh, policy priority in this area and also a cultural shift to understand the importance in early education and, and what benefits mm. that can bring children. Absolutely. Um, so Kay, really appreciate you sort of taking us through the report. We absolutely, you know, the, the strong recommendation of, of our show is to go and read this report. It's um, really well put together. So congrats to, to Kate and Aracy. Um, but obviously, um, you know, we're, so fantastic you got it out now, Kate. We're not going to let you relax though. You've got five years to come up with the 2023 <laughs> report card. Um, so, uh, look, this is obviously a bit of a crazy question. It's impossible for anyone to ask, uh, for anyone to answer. But, um, you know, what, you know, looking at between now and 2023, what are, you know, the big, the really big picture things that you or a racy just think needs to happen to, to make our report card next time a lot better than our current one? What a racy really asks for is more coordination and cooperation between government and within community. These issues are very complex that we're talking about and there's no one size fits all approach. And so what we really want is children to be given a higher priority. And how, how this goes about is, is really um, not for us to say, but examples could include, for example, um, children being on the COAG agenda, um, there being a senior minister in charge of children. We're not being prescriptive about it. And, and we're really keen, for example, to hear to your listeners, for them to suggest ideas on, on how we can collaborate better to, to improve the outcomes of, of children. Uh, an example of this is, so I, I mentioned before that we've had improved retention rates um, over time at the national level and at the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander level. And a big reason for this, for this increase in retention rates for Indigenous kids is that there's been a concerted effort from Indigenous communities to improve these rates over time. It hasn't come from the top down, it's come from the bottom up and it's community coming together and, and everyone pulling in to make a, make a big difference. So I hope that, that with this and a more targeted focus on the issues that we've, we've brought about in the report card, I'll be back in 2023 with a much more positive outlook on how things are going. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'll send you a calendar request for the interview in five years' time, Kate. But um, really appreciate your time uh, today. And again, congratulations on you and Racy for, for putting out the card. Thanks for having me. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks again to Kate for taking the time to, to talk us through the report card. Kate had a huge amount of involvement in the development, uh, not just of the uh, the sort of new format and the new approach to the report card uh, this year, but just in terms of uh, actually uh, actually completing it and putting it out there and has done uh, some, some other media around it as well. So it was really uh, great to actually go through with, you know, with one of the key drivers of that. Um, 
I'm a huge fan of the Eraser report card. It is, and we, we, I think we're a bit, we're feeling a bit swamped by actually really useful reports and data. We've got lifting our game. We've got you know the Eraser report card. This is feeling like a very good time to have you know a stack of things you can take into meetings with you to to bang on about how important early childhood is and how we need to do a lot lot better. Hmm. Yes. Which is always good. Yes. <laughs> I'm taking that as furious agreement for both of you. Yes. yes, it is. yes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our recommendations for this week. And Leanne, your first recommendation for a little while. Dare I hope it's a conversation article? No, it's not. It's oh. not. All right. Sorry. I lose my bet. Um, <laughs> I couldn't find one that I was happy with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so oh, this, I'll just be quick on this one. Um, I just thought it was a very interesting study that was being done around um, encouraging risk-taking in children to reduce the prevalence of childhood anxiety. And I was quite shocked by the, the percentage of um, anxiety, the increase in anxiety in young children, you know, going up to teenagers. And this is actually, what is it, 7% of Australian kids between the ages of 4 and 17 have an anxiety disorder. And this is actually a, a program that's targeted at Sorry, can parents. you say that figure again? 7%. Wow. I thought that was really high. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Mm. Um, and this, this program is... Um, something for parents and it actually interestingly involves taking more risks you know children taking more risks and that reduces their anxiety so there's lots of interesting things underneath that I'm sure um, relating to a whole range of things but rough and tumble play is in everybody and you can actually let children lose the game apparently there you go oh my god (laughs) so hang on I can stop printing out all the Certificate of Participation trophies at the end of each board game we play. You don't need to give your... I don't need to be doing that. You don't need to give your child a certificate for listening to a chapter of Harry Potter tonight. That you read. Okay? It's not necessary, Liam. We've been trying to tell you that for a while. The reward for that is not any certificate. It is my my fantastic range of voices that I provide throughout the chapters. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you should record it. I was going to say maybe as a don't have to do it for the second child. Ah, maybe maybe <laughs> as a as a Patreon extra this week, I'll read some uh, some some chapters from. I've got a pretty good Hagrid. I just copied oh. the, the movie one. Can you do your um news your article in a Hagrid voice then? Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. No. Okay. It's no. a nice try. I've been put okay. on the spot. And now I'm feeling very shy. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, okay. maybe next time. I might build up to it next week. Yes. All right. But I will say one thing. Those Dutch families, they're all over the rough and tumble play. Yeah. Are they? Mm. Yeah. It's all the, it's, it's the, heat, the, the hig, or whatever you call it, the hig, H-Y-G-G-E. Isn't that all? They're all about the, the, the physical well-being. <laughs> I well-being. think um, we're mixing countries Is that there. Sweden? I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, roughly, know, roughly that, that area. It's that Scandinavian oh, no. area. They love that. Oh, stop now, Liam. <laughs> All right. It's least, a Danish, it's least a Danish, Danish concept. Oh, oh, good on them. Well, you know, roughly adjacent. It's all kind of the same thing. Lisa, what are you bringing us? 
Look, I'm bringing us the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare's report released today on family, domestic and sexual violence. Um, and the reason I'm bringing it is, um, apart from the fact that I think we all need to be aware of how many people in Australia are subject to domestic violence, it's particularly the, the statistics around children. So... Nearly 2.1 million women and men witness violence towards their mother by a partner and nearly 820,000 witnessed violence towards their father before the age of 15. And people who, as children, witness partner violence against their parents were two to four times as likely to experience partner violence themselves. So basically you've got one in... Um, as well as witnessing it, children are often are also exposed to violence as being subjected to it, right? Um, uh, so more than two-thirds of mothers who had children in their care when they experienced violence from their previous partner said their children had seen or heard the violence. And one in six girls and one in nine boys reported having experienced um, physical and or sexual abuse before the age of 15. So that's pretty, you know, horrible, horrible statistics. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it was pretty just shocking to me today. I don't even think it's sunk in enough to have an appropriate response but i think wasn't it as as part of this release wasn't it that the the threat of physical violence by men was the number one health risk for women yeah. in australia yeah precisely yeah. like for women of a I've, I've forgotten what age it was but yeah it was just you know, 25 age, 25 to 44 is the greatest yeah. health risk factor for women intimate partner violence it's hard to know what to what to say about, and the only thing I might say, not to rehash an argument we had, uh, sorry, a discussion we had, we had last week, Lisa. But then I think, um, you know, I, I chat about men in early childhood, you know, caused a bit of a you know small reaction on social media. Uh, given that that those statistics, and given the you know the overwhelming uh, the, the overwhelming majority of the workforce is women, that that to me just means. We, you know, I, I, and you, and uh, and everyone listening must know so many women experiencing this just by pure numbers. Ninety-seven percent of the yep. sector and is female. Yep, and that means that means your staff. That yep. means you know children at your service. That means you know parents at your service. Yeah, and yeah, often I think. Mm. Childcare services don't want to go. Sorry, I keep. I've, I must have been reading a lot of government stuff today. I've got the word childcare stuck in my head. But <laughs> education and care services sometimes are reluctant to go and explore when they believe that a mother could be being subject to violence. Like yeah. they don't get involved. Yeah. Others, of course, you know, like that's their mainstream. You know, everyone at the centre is suffering from some form of, a, a, you know, a violent kind of situation. But others, I think, are, are just a little bit too reluctant to find out what's happening. 
yeah, we've got a lot of work to do as a society, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We do. All right. Well, um, I'll quickly do my recommendation. This is an article from The Guardian in the UK. Uh, and I just found it really interesting. There's, there's, there's uh, I, I agree with a huge percentage of it, and there's some actually stuff in there that I think challenges me. But it's an article about uh, UK schools and and particular uh, UK school that has that is in you know a particular uh, area of the UK, which is you know has low socioeconomic demographics and actually. Uh, has specific programs that work with children who are experiencing vulnerability and disadvantage, and they they uh, use this concept called unconditional positive regard, which is around uh, no matter how bad the behaviour of a child, they are just always treated with you know complete kindness and respect. They are greeted individually by wow. every teacher as they walk uh, in through the school. I I hate the headline. So the headline is called. We batter them with kindness. Schools that reject Ooh. super strict. I know it's it, look. It's a quote that's come from earlier on. With you know, it, it, it's just I don't like the phrase, but uh, I see what they're trying to trying to go with. But um, you know, they talk about you know students that just come in and and you know and swear, turn over tables, throw things, and they are not you know immediately expelled. They are not you know. Um, uh, dis- you know, disciplined in that in 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 those incredibly strong senses, and uh, and it's had really positive results. And you know, for me, there's there's huge uh, parallels here with the early childhood sector, which is around, you know, always uh, disconnecting ch- a child's behaviour from a child. Uh, and I just want to you know read out one particular uh, uh, part of it, which just has sort of stuck with me in the in the days or two uh, since I since I read it, which is um, this is from a teacher called. Krista Hazel, uh, and she says, um, uh, we could be the first person that says something positive to them that day or that week, depending on what their home circumstances are. So it's this idea yeah. of, you know, not view, of not viewing behaviour out of context, that, you know, there is unacceptable behaviour, yes, but, you know, what is the context this child is experiencing? And, uh, you know, and, and I remember, you know, having these discussions with educators saying, you know, you may be the most positive interaction they have. You know, you know, we, we often don't know what's happening at home. We know there's hidden disadvantage and hidden issues. You know, the, the, the role of an educator, no matter how challenging and difficult it is when we're, you know, managing with, you know, not enough resources, not enough time, not enough pay. But, you know, we still may be, you know, the best interaction that child has and the, the best environment and the safest space they may be in. So we always have to make sure we're, we're lifting ourselves above those really challenging behaviours and separating them out from the child. Mm. And um, maybe, Liam, it would be good to add the link for the episode that was the trauma-informed practice as well because there's quite a lot of links with with um, this article with that, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. And I think um, you can – yes, I will absolutely include the link, but I think you can also – we did two episodes with psychologist uh, Beth McGregor. Uh, episode 30, 35 was in, just an interview with, with Beth, um, but episode 36 was – uh, you know, one of my favourites things we've done in the podcast, which is uh, I think you barely hear from uh, from any of us. It's actually three uh, stories that Beth and three educators who work with me at Northside Community Service in the ACT are talking about their experiences working with with the particular children. Um, it was yeah, so episodes thirty five and thirty six. If you want to find out more about those as well, mm. yay! It's it's funny, you know, I keep going back to the difference between that and the American experience. I keep going back to these stats uh. and these interviews about how many um, 
American children are expelled from preschools. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. You know, like it's just um, 7,000 three- and four-year-olds were suspended or expelled from public preschools, Good you know, Lord. during one year. And you just think, what's happening here? And so when they've actually drilled down, it's always black children. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. You know, they make up... Um, uh, oh yeah, yeah, like forty percent of them are black, even though they only make up nineteen percent of enrolments. Forty-seven of the children that were expelled were black. Wow. All right. Well, we've ended on a bit of a downcast note, I think, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I'm sorry, but <laughs> we need to make sure we do Leanne's recommendations last. I think from now on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's so much more uplifting to hear that the Dutch have great at rough and tumble plays. <laughs> and that Liam has no concept of geography. That's always a good note to end on. <laughs> well, Leanne, lovely to have you back. Welcome back to the, to the sure podcast. It sure is. Thank you. And we hope everyone... It's lovely ha- to be back too. <laughs> we hope everyone has a lovely weekend and week ahead of them and we will see you all next week. So until then, it's bye from me. And from me. And from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.